0: I'm going to start with a story. This is from the early years of Billy Graham's ministry, and uh, he, was, he was set to lead a crusade in a South Carolina town, but he needed to mail a letter that day, and so he happened to be walking along the street and saw a young boy, and he said, young man, young man, can you tell me where the post office is? And the boy gave him directions. He said, you turn here, and you go there, and and uh, he said, all right, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And then kind of as an afterthought, he said to the boy, he said, young man, if you come to the Central Baptist Church tonight at 7 o'clock, I'll tell you how to get to heaven. And the boy turned around and said, hey, no thanks, mister. You don't even know how to get to the post office. <laughs> I'm going to share with you this morning what I think Billy Graham would have told that young man that evening had he gone to the central baptist church i think billy graham would have said that the way to heaven is through jesus you guys feel all right about that I feel like i'm looking for a little you guys feel all right about that okay good this is church after all you can like we're about jesus it's- that's, that's our team. Okay, so good. Yeah, the way to heaven is through Jesus. We're all in agreement on that, but I want to challenge us a little bit this morning. I want to go a step further. I want to go a step deeper this morning. Jesus expects more of us than just going to heaven. Jesus expects more of us than just going to heaven. That's tough. That's tough right? Nobody told you to wear your steel toe boots to church this morning, right? That's tough. We kind of don't like to hear that because maybe you grew up going to church thinking, I go to church on Sunday, I'll go to heaven when I die. That's just the very first sentence of what God would have us know about Him. That's just the very first sentence of what God would have us do. That's just the very first sentence of the potential that we have as servants in God's kingdom. This morning I want to look at an account in Mark chapter 2 that's going to give us a better picture of what God expects of us, a better picture of what the life of a Christian looks like. Because it is more than just Go into heaven when we die. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Or if you don't have a Bible with you, I'm going to have it up here on the screen for you. Already, ready. Thank you, sound room. You guys can all look and smile at them if you want. Very good. Okay, very good. Uh, we'll have it up there on the screen for you in the New Living Translation. Also, that's a good time for me to tell you uh, in your bulletin, there's going to be a fill-in-the-blank sermon outline. Uh, it helps you track with me, take some notes, get down some key concepts. And if you didn't notice... Um, apparently I'm being a bit goofy this morning, so we don't know what's going to come out. Cling to your outline dearly. We'll get through this. Mark chapter two, starting in verse one. Here's what we read. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head, then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But Some of the teachers of the religious law were sitting there, and they thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat and walk. So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. The man jumped up. He grabbed his mat and he walked out through the stunned onlookers. And they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. I love this story. I love this story. So one day it's Jesus' teaching. It's a crowded, crowded service. Four guys approach and they're carrying their friend. Their friend is paralyzed, right? Right? Uh, And they have a very, very simple goal. They want Jesus to help their friend. That's it. They want Jesus to help their friend. They have a very specific goal and they are laser focused on that goal. I want to contrast that with uh, some of the people that we read at the end of last week's sermon. Jesus is preaching and they're all amazed by Jesus' authority, but they left with a good story to tell about Jesus. Some people last week were changed by Jesus, right? Philip and Andrew were changed by Jesus. James and John were changed by Jesus and followed Jesus. And we read at the end of the story, wow, this Jesus. Jesus guy is really great, let's go home. Some of these people who are here today are just here to be entertained. Some of them are here in the story, not you guys. Kind of harsh. Some of the people in this story are just here to be entertained. They want to leave with a good story to tell about Jesus, not these four. These four have a very specific purpose. They're seeking out Jesus for a very specific reason. They want him to help their friend. So they can't get to Jesus because the house is packed. Right? Jesus has got a sold-out crowd tonight, and he is on. He's preaching his A-game, and they can't get through the crowd. So what do they do? They go up to the roof. They lower their friend down in front of Jesus. The crowd was so thick. <laughs> they go up to the roof, and they lower him down. Does that seem like a reasonable response to anybody else in this room? I have so many questions about why that, like, we need to introduce them to the word excuse me, apparently. Like, coming through, I've got a man who needs to meet Jesus. But anyway, it would have been a much different story if they would have just used the word excuse me, but it would have been a much more boring story. My favorite part of this is that Jesus doesn't react the same way I do. Jesus doesn't say, hey, let's see your insurance card, okay, because hopefully, you know, you've got some sort of insurance that's going to cover this, because I don't think my homeowners covers holes being dug through the roof. Okay? Jesus doesn't respond that way. He's not taken aback, he's not startled, he's not angry. Jesus loves it, and he loves it because these four men did whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. These men understood two principles that we're going to examine today, and we're going to look at one more that we learned from Jesus' response. So these men understood two things, two things that are going to help us in our lives as Christians, two things that are going to help us uh, be uh, more fulfilled and not just live this life that says, it's about going to heaven when I die. It's going to help us understand two things. So first of all, getting close to Jesus takes faith. Getting close to Jesus takes faith. Now, uh, some of you are underwhelmed by that statement. You're going, "That's it? That's all?" You had the whole week to study for a sermon. You came up with that. Getting close to Jesus takes faith. You might as well have said, "If you want to go swimming, you're probably going to get wet." All right? Of course, getting close to Jesus takes faith. But hear me out. Getting close to Jesus takes faith. Think about what these guys did. They went onto somebody else's roof, probably Peter, and they started digging a hole to get their friend in. Why'd they do that? They did that because they believed Jesus could make a difference in their friend's life. They believed that Jesus could make a difference in their friend's life, and because of that, no obstacle was too big. So let me ask you, you believe that Jesus can make a difference in what you got going on? You believe that Jesus can make a difference? Or are you just here to be entertained? you believe that Jesus can make a difference in your marriage, even though it's struggling? Or are you just here to be entertained? Do you believe that Jesus can make a difference in your addiction? are you just here to be entertained? Are you agonizing over a loved one who is far from God and making terrible choices? Do you believe that Jesus can make a difference? Or are you just here to be entertained? So this next sentence is critical. I want to make sure that you hear this. Jesus is waiting for us to tear the roof off and bring those things to him. He's just waiting for us to tear the roof off. So question, uh, maybe uh, an application of theology, uh, application question, how do we tear the roof off? Because I just assume not have anybody, you know, like, this is a nice roof, we just replaced it a couple years ago. I'm going to encourage you to not take a literal approach to this passage. So how do we tear the roof off? I guess it depends on what it's made of, right? Uh, I I looked in a Bible dictionary. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says that the roof would have likely been made of a straw and mud mixture. So that would have been the top, and then below that, uh, there would have been timbers, but between the straw and mud and the timbers, there would have been some sort of a thatching material that would have been uh, a brush mixed with mud and then another layer of mud and straw. So... A lot of mud, a lot of brush, a lot of straw, and then some timber. Okay? So first these men, they've got, to get, they've got to get down on their knees, and then they start digging through mud and straw. Once they get through a layer of mud and straw, then there is some, uh, there's some brush and some more mud, and then some more mud and some more uh, brush, and then they get down through there, and they've got a hole, and they've got to navigate around the timbers and divide and figure out a way where they can get that man through there without hitting any of those non-movable pieces, okay? So you're going to get down on your knees to dig that. You've got to get down on your knees to dig. The only way to tear the roof off of something is on your knees. So Let me just tell you a little bit about how that might apply for you. While you're down on your knees, maybe you might say something like, God, would you please heal my marriage? Would you please give me a heart of humility to recognize my flaws first before I start trying to fix my spouse? Or or maybe, God, would you please rid me of this addiction and would you please surround me by people who will walk with me to a healthy recovery? By the way, maybe you just need to hear this. You better get comfortable on your knees because you don't tear a roof off in a few minutes. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes months and sometimes years and sometimes decades. You're going to tear the roof off of anything. You've got to be down on your knees. Getting close to Jesus, it takes faith. It takes faith that the time you're spending in prayer is worthwhile. It takes faith to understand that the time you're spending in prayer is working. It takes faith to know that when you pray and pray and pray and pour your heart out over and over and over again, you don't see anything happening, that it's worth it to continue. It takes faith. It takes faith, and not the easy kind of faith, right? Anybody, It's not hard to believe that God exists. All you got to do is look outside, okay? Not hard to believe that God exists. It takes the kind of faith that says, God, I believe you exist, and I believe that you care about me right now as I am, not some future better version of me. I believe that you care about who I am right now, warts and all. He doesn't care about some future better version of you once you get it all figured out. He doesn't care about you once you get all of your garbage cleaned up. He cares about you, who you are right now. Here's my proof. It's Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Paul writes this, he says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God knows that we can't do this on our own. God knows that we can't clean up our mess on our own, that by nature we are going to sin. We are going to mess up again and again. So God is not sitting back waiting for us to say, God, I think I need need something. Can you please help? He took the first step by sending Jesus while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners not realizing how much we needed him. God cares about you. The reason that's hard for us to believe is because we know what our sin looks like up close and personal. We've got a better view of our lives and our sin than anybody else. We know how it affects us. We know how it affects the people around us and we just believe that God couldn't forgive me. I know he can forgive other people. They just sin like normal people. But me, he couldn't forgive me. Let me tell you, God can forgive you he will forgive you and he sent Jesus into this world for exactly that purpose when you realize that when you learn that truth when you realize that Jesus came into this world to forgive you you can't help but share that truth with somebody else listen I want to tell you what these four guys aren't These four guys that carried their paralyzed friend, I want to tell you what they aren't. They aren't professionals in ministry. They don't have advanced training on how to get people in front of Jesus. They didn't even know how to say excuse me. And these guys, these guys aren't even skylight salesmen. They don't have ulterior motives. Here's what they are. They are normal guys who are taking a hurting friend to a man they believe can help. Just four normal guys who are taking a hurting friend to a man they believe can help. That's faith. And that's what the church is. Just normal people who do other stuff and make a living in other ways and have other jobs but are all about helping friends get to a man that they know can help. That's what the church is about. I don't know if these four guys had heard Jesus speak before and they thought bringing their paralyzed buddy would be uh, be a good thing because of what they heard him say earlier, if it was just word of mouth. I don't know what it was, but I know that they were convinced enough of Jesus' power to take extraordinary actions. So here's my question for us today Are you convinced enough of Jesus' power to take extraordinary actions? Are you convinced enough of Jesus' power to do something extraordinary? Because when we're convinced, we don't let anything get in the way. When we're convinced, we don't let anything get in the way. That's the second principle that we can learn from these four men. Don't let anything get in the way. If your goal is to get closer to Jesus, don't let anything get in your way. Those guys, they could have come up with a hundred different excuses right off of the top of their head. Right? I don't like crowded places. If I go someplace and it's crowded, I don't like it anymore. Yeah, we like to take Atticus to the Children's Museum in Indianapolis. I like to go on a Tuesday morning. You know why? This is not crowded on a Tuesday morning. You know what my least favorite time to go to the Children's Museum is? Saturday. Right? I am a different person on Saturday. I'm not, lead- I'm not carrying any mats leading people to Jesus at the Children's Museum on Saturday. I'm just trying to survive. Okay? They could have come up with a hundred excuses. That place was like the Children's Museum on a Saturday. You can't even walk around. Maybe we should just come back on Tuesday, guys. They didn't say that. They didn't say there's no place for me to tie up the donkey. What are we supposed to do? They didn't say he's busy. He wouldn't even have time to talk with us anyway. They didn't say maybe we should just try coming back on Tuesday. And we can make excuses too. When we're really convinced, when we're really convinced of Jesus' power, we don't let anything get in the way. Here's the deal. When you have an idea that you may need Jesus, a lot of excuses are valid. When we understand our need for Jesus, no excuse makes sense. So if we wanna get closer to Jesus, don't let anything get in your way. Don't let anything get in your way. If we wanna help somebody else get closer to Jesus, we can't let anything else get in our way. No distractions, no excuses, no fear, not even the past. Our purpose in this community is to see it changed by Christ. The only way that that's going to happen is to introduce people to Jesus. So there's nothing different about this church. There's nothing better about this church than any of the other churches in our area. There's a really good church a couple miles up West Washington School Road. Get to the highway, turn left right before you get there. That's a really good church, right? There's nothing different about our churches. The only thing that matters is introducing people to Jesus and we are very passionate about that because we believe that he can make a difference that's what we're about church all of us that's what they're about that's what Saltillo and Hardensburg and all of the churches in our area that's what we're about just introducing people to Jesus because he can make a difference we're convinced of that that's what we do that's the only way we're going to see our community changed if Jesus gets involved. So we want to bring people to Jesus. So at the beginning of the sermon, I said that uh, Jesus expects more of us than just going to heaven when we die. Let me expand on what we've said already. He expects two things from us. This is a good place to start, two things. First, we've got to get down on our knees. When we get up, carry a mat. Carry a mat. We all know somebody who's paralyzed by their sin. I want you to get down on your knees for them and tear the roof off. When you get up, I want you to put your hand on their mat and do everything that you can to introduce them to Jesus. Now, don't be weird, okay? Just love them. Don't be weird, though, okay? What is our life in Christ about? It's about getting down on our knees, and it's about carrying mats. Because we know what Jesus can do for them. Here's what we read back in the text. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, So they improvised. They went up onto the roof, and they dug a hole through the roof above his head, and then they lowered the man down on his mat right in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven you. Here's what Jesus does. He deals with the biggest problem first. First. He deals with the biggest problem first. These four men, they knew that Jesus could help. They were convinced of that. Otherwise, they would have stopped somewhere short of digging a hole in the roof. But they misunderstood their friend's most urgent need. They wanted Jesus to help with his paralysis. But Jesus took care of the real problem. So no matter what's going on in your life, sin is the biggest problem. Sin is the biggest problem. It's not your finances. It's not your relationship. It's not your addiction. It's not any of that. Our biggest problem is that one day we will stand before a holy God who expects holiness. And sure, we struggle with greed and saying hurtful things to people we love, and we struggle with addictions and all those things. But those things are sin. Those are the things that make us unfit to stand before a holy God who expects holiness. Jesus deals with the sin first. He says, Your sins are forgiven. That's what he did for the paralyzed man and that's what he does for us too. Remember we read Romans 5 verse 8 earlier. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Here's one more, a little bit more proof for you. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we might be made right with God through Christ. Our biggest problem is Our sin. And Jesus came to earth to fix that problem. That's where it starts with all of us. That's where it starts with all of us. But listen, when when we get that, when when that happens, everything else changes too. Everything else changes too. I want to give you one more uh, verse of Scripture, and then we're going to start to apply the change that happens when we have forgiveness of sins. Acts chapter 2. After Jesus' death and resurrection, a group of people start to realize their need for forgiveness. Uh, Peter's preaching a sermon, basically saying, hey, you guys messed up. You killed the Messiah. And at the very top, they say, brothers, we realize what we've done. It's a huge mistake. What should we do? Peter replied, repent Repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit. When we ask Jesus to deal with our sins, He does two things. He forgives and He gives us His Spirit. I want to get to work applying that to the rest of our lives. When we have forgiveness, or when we ask God to deal with our sins, He gives us forgiveness and He gives us Holy Spirit. How does that matter in the rest of our lives? How does that matter in our marriage, in our relationship, in our addictions, in our struggles that we face every day? If you're struggling to forgive in your marriage, if you're struggling to forgive your spouse, the best place to start is by remembering how you've been forgiven. Start by remembering how you've been forgiven. Let that motivate you. Let that challenge you. Maybe you're saying, well, my wife doesn't deserve to be forgiven. Well, congratulations, neither do you. If you're struggling with greed, why don't you think about how much God has given and let that change your heart. If you struggle with addictions, guess what? You can't do it alone. But as followers of Christ, we will never be alone again. We now have the Holy Spirit of the living God living within us. All of a sudden, it's not so impossible. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it's easy, right? You don't become a Christian and the switch flips, okay? Uh, I'm not saying it's all of a sudden easy, but Holy Spirit may give you the power, may give you the strength to confess your addiction to somebody else. Holy Spirit may give you the strength to admit that you need help. Holy Spirit may give you the confidence to walk in to celebrate recovery on Wednesday night. Or Holy Spirit may give you the peace that you need to check into rehab. You're not alone anymore. And you have the example of Christ to follow. Some of you are going, well, Tony, that's all well and good. You're painting a rosy picture of, of, of other things, but I know somebody who's struggling with a terminal disease. What do you got to say about that? Is Jesus going to help with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Not in the way you may think, but absolutely. It may not happen like it did for that paralytic man that day. In fact, it probably won't. Jesus probably isn't going to say to your friend, get up, your cancer's gone. He's probably not going to say, get up, your ALS is gone. He's probably not going to say that. God may not heal the way he did that paralytic man, but he does give a peace that not even health can offer. You hear that? He does give a peace that not even health can offer. I want to to give you an example uh, that I've seen recently. Tyler Trent He's a young man. Uh, Many of you have heard of him. He was a Purdue student. He had bone marrow cancer. Uh, I'm sorry, bone cancer. He passed away on January 1st of this year at the age of 20. Here's what he had to say on December 6th, just a little less than a month before he passed. He said, uh, a year ago I prayed that I would have the opportunity to share my story and now it's coming true. At the end of the day, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel, and as long as you rely on your faith, things will work out. Listen, God didn't cure Tyler Trent's cancer, but he cleansed his sins. And because of that, death was no monster to Tyler. That is the power of God for salvation. That's what happens when people come to Jesus. They have hope. That's what happens when people are brought to Jesus. They're given hope. Church, I want to invite you to join us on this journey. I want to invite you to get down on your knees and tear the roof off for somebody. I want to invite you to help carry a mat, to lead somebody to Jesus who will give them hope. So let's do that together, church. And maybe you're here today and you need to meet Jesus. You need to ask Him to forgive your sins. He's ready, He's willing. All you got to do is ask. Right? You're here. You feel like you got all this stuff to deal with? I want to just encourage you to follow Jesus' lead. He deals with the biggest problem first. Let's stand together. Peter said that when you are convicted of your sins, you should repent and be baptized. If you feel convicted of your sins, if you feel like that's something you need to deal with, I think you should do it today. So if you're ready to be baptized, why don't you come up? We're going to sing a song as soon as they're ready, and uh, you can begin your journey to change today.